Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive & June. Olive & June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. It dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello and welcome to Your Booked, the podcast for literary nosy parkers. I'm your book inspector, Daisy Buchanan, the author of The Sisterhood, How to Be a Grown-Up and Insatiable, a love story for greedy girls. If you'd like a signed copy of any of these, do ask your lovely local bookshop and we can hook you up. I'll be talking about Insatiable at the Bath Festival on May the 21st and the EA Festival on August the 1st. Tickets are available online and hopefully there will be more events to be announced. Now, on to today's guest. Mel Gidrick is loved for lots and lots of things. She's famously funny, fabulously kind. She might be responsible for coining the expression soggy bottom. It is with equal parts admiration, giddy delight and teeth gnashing envy that I can tell you she is as brilliant at novels as she is at everything else. The best things is the story of Sally Parker, whose life is suddenly, unexpectedly all soggy bottom. Her husband has lost his business, their home and all control of their life overnight. It's time for Sally to step up, but she just wants to lie down. This is a beautiful book, achingly funny, but also deeply moving. And I really, really adored it. And I adored talking to Mel about Jean Valjean, about the funniest book she has ever read, and whether I can persuade her to read Elena Ferrante in the original Italian and report back. When you were writing The Best Things, I know... Any book is sort of the work of a lifetime and it's always percolating and we're always thinking about it. Were you writing much of it during this very, very, very strange year that we've just had? Or is it a coincidence that you've written this sort of very uplifting book about how the human spirit endures through trying times? <laughs> it's really odd, actually, Daisy. I, I, well, it's not that odd. I had completed the whole second draft, I think, when the first lockdown hit. So um, I was actually kind of supposed to deliver it then, just before lockdown hit. But lockdown gave me kind of three more months of grace, really, to be able to do two more drafts. So even though that first lockdown was, I mean, it was pretty mad for all of us, wasn't it? And so frightening and uh, strange and demanding and awful, in, in many, many ways, as, a, as an old freelancer, it kind of gave me a little window of time that I wouldn't otherwise have had. So, yes, I don't want people to read it, I have to say, and sort of think, 
oh, hang on, she's there writing saying, oh, isn't it marvellous to have everything stripped away from you and have have no money and things like that when people are in our lives at the moment going through this kind of horrendously difficult time. Um, I hope people don't read it and sort of think that. It was actually written before we even knew about corona, really. But I hope, as you say, that um, people sort of find it uplifting and a, and a bit of an escape, really. You know, it's 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 supposed to be at its heart... Uh, even though there are serious things that happen within the book, it's sort of supposed to be um, pretty uh, lighthearted along the way. I hope, I don't want to tell you what your book's about, but what I really, really loved about Sally, your main character, and, you know, what I felt was something that was very relatable and something I could really connect with was she's not, I don't think, a person who sort of revels in the idea of being a coper or not one of those people who sort of go around thinking, you know, oh, I'm so strong in the case of adversity, there's the urge to just like hide under a duvet until it all goes away, which <laughs> really struck a chord. <laughs> yes, that's that's very good, actually. I, I like the way you've described that. I think she's an unwitting heroine, definitely, and only uh, really has to do the things that she does end up having to do because circumstances force her to. What's the word? I've com- it's completely gone out of my head. Lockdown does that, doesn't it? Oh, my God, my vocabulary is so limited. Lockdown, and I think writing, I think you use it all up on the page. Good, thanks, and Daisy. like you've had a lobotomy. <laughs> it's true. She's a sort of reluctant heroine, I suppose. Um, I don't know about you. Have you ever seen or read Gone with the Wind? Yes, uh, a while yeah, ago. So I can't stand Scarlett O'Hara. I absolutely loathe the woman you know you meet her at the beginning of the film the beginning of the book and she's a sort of horrible pampered narcissistic sort of petty jealous spoiled woman but when she has to really struggle and when everything's stripped away from her and there's that scene when she's kind of plowing at the ground with her bare hands to pull up the potato to eat I kind of think oh my god I love her. I sort of do always slightly hate her, but I do love her. So it's that kind of thing. I think, I suppose it's the nature of heroines, really. You've got to put them through the ringer, haven't you? I never thought about that because I always, you know, I think of Scarlett O'Hara, the, the dresses and the staircase and with God as my witness, I'll never go hungry again. But she was the original Moira yes. Rose from Shit's Creek, really, yeah, she wasn't really she? Was. Um, to do a clunky segue... I'm a very big fan of your show, Unforgivable, where you ask excellent comedians about the worst things they've ever done. And I'm wondering if there are any characters in books that you would love to have (gasps) in the lineup and quiz if you could. Oh, wow. That's a really, really good question. I'd like Scarlett O'Hara, actually, in the chair. I mean, she wouldn't fit in the chair because of that enormous and ridiculous hooped petticoat. Um, (laughs) I think she'd be a great guest. She'd be a great panel show guest, actually, Scarlett O'Hara, because she's very pert, isn't she? I love that word, pert. Uh, Yes, I'd Mm. like to find out and also sort of ask the question of her, do do you get back with Rhett? Come on, just give us the blooming absolute, give us the lowdown. I I assume that they do, but tell us honestly, Scarlett, do you actually get back with Rhett? Can we ask you that? Other characters, um, I'd like to ask those kind of 19th century, seemingly uh, rather good characters, you know, some of those Austin characters who I know they go through the mill in their own way, but I'd love to sit down with Anne Elliot, for example, from uh, Persuasion Mm. and say, right, come on, come on. It says in the book 
that you took a turn around the garden with Captain Wentworth. But what really, come on, what did you really do? What did you really do? I'd like to strip back some of those kind of crinolines and petticoats. But then you'd want to mix it up a bit, wouldn't you? You wouldn't want to just have 19th century. Oh, I mean, Jean Valjean. Jean Valjean, I would like to have him on Unforgivable and say, mate, you didn't do anything wrong. You stole a loaf of bread to save your sister and her family's life. You know, what's with the guilt, Jean Valjean? For goodness sake, you've, you, you're fine. Don't worry about it. I love Jean Valjean. I think he's my favourite character ever. When did you... First, he said this is Les yeah. Miserables. Am I in the right? And that awful, what if I've referenced the wrong thing? <laughs> yes, um, I do that. I do that did, all the time. You, Don't worry. I do that all the time. Did you come to him via the... On the stage or on the text? In the Hell text? yeah. He didn't text me, Daisy, I have to say. I'd love to have received a text. <laughs> well, I think that's pretty unforgivable, him not texting you. Much worse than How the bread. How dare he? We went out. He never texted. He never wrote. Um, no, I, like many, many others, totally fell in love with the musical, actually. I mean, I've seen it about five times. Uh, although my friend Marcus Brigstock has seen it, I think I'll put it 30 times. But anyway, I don't want to dob him in it. Wow. I don't want to dob him in it. <laughs> um, and I sort of, I had Les Mis on my shelf. Um, basically, my mum is the most sort of widely read person I've ever met in my entire life. And this is somebody, she left school early. She wasn't even allowed to take her school cert, as it was then called, the, the, the version of O-Levels in the 50s. They were like, oh no, Rosemary, no, I don't think you're suitable for this, blah, blah, blah. She trained to be a nurse and she is the most widely read woman on the planet. Anyway, she gave me Les Mis like when I was 16 or something. I've had it on the shelf and it's a big old tome, 900 pages or whatever it is. And I just thought I'd had a hernia operation. Sorry, Daisy, a lot of information here that probably you don't even want to hear. I had a hernia operation, so I was forcibly in bed having to rest. And I, I saw Les Mis looking at me every morning and I just thought, right, come on, let's do it. I love the musical. Let's get involved. Read it. And it's in my top three novels of all time. It's Sen Ruddy Sational. I mean, I love Dickens. Don't get me wrong, I adore a Dickens, but a Victor Hugo is something pretty special. And it's one of those books, it's so long, it just goes on and on, which for me is Christmas because I hate it when books finish. There's nothing worse than being completely immersed in this world that you've got in your head that you you live in it's serious it's happening around you these these people are your family for that time that you're reading it and then it blooming ends and I suspect that if I'd been through a major operation and was feeling a little bit less than myself and perhaps a little bit not so being sorry for yourself but you know I think I'd be a bit down in the dumps misery loves company I think I'd be very boosted by <laughs> think, well at least you know at least I am going through this in a time of plumbing yes. and sanitation yes. and my sheets are clean yes. Exactly. I'm on antibiotics. You know, I'm going to get better. I mean, the sewer scene in Les Mis, um, just to put this into perspective, in the musical, it's over in a song and a little bit of a sort of flourish. In the book, it's about 200 pages. I mean, they are down battling it out. So Jean Valjean has Marius, you know, on his shoulders and is trying not to drown in the effluence of Paris. And he's also being followed by old what's-his-chops, Tenadier. So it's a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant book, Les Mis. I, I can't recommend it enough. And it is long. 
which might be off-putting for some people, but oh my God, I just, I just, the last hundred pages of it, I can barely remember because I was crying so much and I couldn't really see the pages. I might have been post-hernia, to be honest. I mean, I was quite emotional after that anaesthetic, but um, I, I was, I was literally a racking, sobbing mess in my bed. And that is how I like it. I like to be put through my paces when I read. Definitely. I'm hoping there'll be an anniversary edition with a line from you on the cover. It's like, I had to take to my bed and weep for hours. You must buy this. So there's a real theme of epics here, which I love. And you said that Lomez is in your top yeah. three. Uh, what are the other two? Oh, dear. I'm go- Yeah, it's another 19th century. It's got to be Wuthering Heights. It's got to be the Heights. And um, actually, I do read that probably once every two years. I kind of feel... I need a fix of Wuthering Heights. That's so pretentious, but I just it's just so powerful, isn't it? From page one, from that moment that Lockwood, isn't it? Lockwood, the, the, the traveller, the visitor to Wuthering Heights goes and is shown up into that room. And then, you know, as soon as the wind gets up and um, the glass breaks and that window, oh, my, I mean, it's just so brilliant was there ever a love so mad and so passionate as that of Kathy and Heathcliff no is the answer Daisy no <laughs> there isn't it's definitive <laughs> something that has really only struck me quite recently Wuthering Heights being a book that I think you know I got given as a teenager and you're like this is a classic and you're like yes of course you know it's magnificent it's marvellous but just really really stepping back and thinking how she wrote that and she was so young and her world was so small and this sort of I mean you know I I kind of want to believe she had some sort of early version of LSD or something it's the only way maybe there were some little mushrooms growing on the moors I don't know have I, I mean I've been to Howarth I had to make that pilgrimage to go and see where they all lived and worked have you ever been Daisy is that Hebden Bridge yeah way? up in uh in right on the edge of the moors I mean beautiful beautiful place and you go into the room where the three of them sat around a table I mean it's literally like a camping table it's that small with their tiny little glasses laid out. They've still got their glasses there. And the the close proximity that they were in as they wrote round the same table. And you just think, oh my giddy God, this is absolute madness. I totally agree with you. And and so young. I mean, I think they were quite sort of connected with life. I think they're probably more connected than we think in terms of politics and stuff. I think they they often used to be taken into um, Bradford or York or whatever to, to political meetings and stuff like that. But the house is so madly small. It really, it really got to me. And you see their little beds and how tiny they were and their clothes and oh, it's a brilliant place to go actually. I, I loved it. I, of course, sort of, you know, had a little walk out on the moors, slightly pretending that I was Kathy. Slightly embarrassing. No, luckily. It's got to oh be done. God, I want to be wearing that dress but- and just ah, barefoot and the wind whipping up my bonnet. Amazing. I mean, Heathcliff is a character where I, I've certainly changed my mind Have about you? him and changed my mind about him again. And what seems so sort of wild and romantic and intense on first reading made me feel 
a lot less comfortable, yeah. I guess. And do you, cause it, But the other tricky thing about that is, you know, it is a story. And I think that the stories that appeal to us, it's important, I think, not to police our own imaginations yeah. and to like what we like and to remember who we were when we first read a book. Have you always sort of loved that love or have you ever felt differently about the the intensity mm. of it and, and of course you know Heathcliff has um has problems of his own as I think Julie Walters says in that yes sketch. yes yes brilliant <laughs> no I think that's really interesting actually to to try and put yourself into your um 14 year old's trousers which would be impossible because they were drain pipes and I was a lot smaller then <laughs> um and sort of imagine yes I suppose I thought I thought it like you I kind of thought it was very romantic whereas now I look at it and I think my god what a pair of narcissists you know I mean she's she's not the most pleasant of people and she's absolutely horrible to him you know um as much as he is horrible to her by going off and you know getting all soft and spoiled in in Linton uh Linton Lodge is it that sounds like a, a travel lodge is it Linton Lodge or is it Linton Manor Oh, I need to reread it. Anyway, with Edgar Linton. Lodge does ring a Linton bell, Lodge. but maybe I just, I like the idea of the, you know, the, the comfort yes. and the coziness. Yes, yes. I mean, she, you know, she's a strong, willful person who, she kind of knows what she wants, actually. That's what's so brilliant about her. And there are sort of crossovers, I suppose, with Scarlett O'Hara, you know, Um She's out to get what she wants and she will get it, whatever that takes. But I mean, he's pretty ghastly as well, isn't he? But just, I don't know, just the fact that it's kind of, um, it's so wild, it's so untamed, it's so out of the norm of what that society would have expected of somebody. I mean, it's extraordinary, really. Extraordinary that she wrote, she wrote that. Oh, I must read it again. My third. <laughs> is it time? It is time. I think it is time. Uh, my third choice, which is something totally different, would be a brilliant book. And I do read this once a year. I just read it actually the other day. I read it once a year because it is so funny and so it's just everything I love about showbiz and humour. It's called I, an Actor, written by Nigel Planer who was in The Young Ones, very fine actor and comedian. It's written under the guise of this actor called Nicholas Craig, who is a character that Nigel Planer used to um, perform. And it's a handbook for all wannabe actors. And it's been dubbed the sort of spinal tap of the, um, of the acting, of the acting, uh, it's not a documentary because it's a book, but... Um, it's just extremely brilliantly observed, hilariously funny. The gags are brilliant, totally uplifting. Uh, it's a perfect lockdown read, actually. I, an actor. And I sort of think I did worry once about it. I thought, is this the sort of book that only actors or people in showbiz or people with, who've had a sort of brush with showbiz can enjoy? But I, I thought, A, I don't care because I love it and it's brilliant. And B, I think it probably is a book that anybody could enjoy because we all know about lovies and about how ridiculous they can be sometimes. It's brilliant. It's so funny. This sounds like something that I would absolutely Oh my adore. God, Daisy. It sounds great fun. Set yourself aside three hours because it's one of those books that you'll sit down with and you just will gobble it up in one fell swoop. 
it's priceless. Priceless. I love this. What should you do when Hollywood comes calling? What should you never call Alec Guinness during rehearsals? Is it true, Brian? Blessed only weighs nine and a half stone. <laughs> it's genius. It's absolutely genius. And we've got to an age, me and my mates, um, a few of us, I have to say, are very much in the bosom of theatre. Uh, we've been blessed by um, the great lady's uh, comforting, comforting bosom. So we're all on a bigger old, you know, Zoom, load of university pals. And we just quote, we just quote Iron Actor to each other, which possibly sounds horrendously smug and awful, but it's done with the best will in the world and the gags are great. So is that when you found the book? Were you a student? Did someone bring it into your life? I think my brother gave it to me, actually. My brother has impeccable taste in comedy. My brother was the first person to introduce me to Monty Python because he was nine years older than I am still is nine years older than I am um <laughs> so Monty Python he had all the records I used to listen to them on a loop I mean literally for hours and hours and hours and he introduced me to Iron Actor he in fact introduced me to Spinal Tap because he was living in New York at the time and he saw it when it first came out Oh, he wow. went to the cinema and saw Spinal Tap. Can you imagine when it first came out in um, whichever year it was, the mid-80s? So, yeah, he's been a real comedy inspo to me, my bro. He's got very, very good taste. We, I mean, yes, we're terrible. We quote endlessly at each other while other people in the family just sort of roll their eyes and go, oh, God, not again. Why are they doing this? <laughs> it, it becomes quite competitive just... as well, doesn't it? Quoting madly things at each other. Because I think, not to generalise about gender, but I think that oh, boys yes, they do. tend yes, they do. to be much more like, if you get a word wrong in a quote, they will mm -hmm. come down on you like a ton of bricks. They know, they know the rhythms of the pauses and everything. Really annoying, really, really annoying. Um, yes, I once went out on a very ill-advised date with a stand-up comic and he brought his manager along, which is great. <laughs> Actually, I was quite pleased. To be honest, thank God there was somebody else there. But anyway, and they started quoting Spinal Tap to each other. But Daisy, let me tell you, I was in Like Flynn and I absolutely, I, I, I silenced both of them with my, not, with my tap knowledge. I totally, I shut them down and I left the date actually. I just went good evening and left and f just felt very, very, very pleased with myself. Oh, dropping the invisible mic on exactly. your way out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the window cleaner has come unexpectedly. Oh, so we're just waiting for the, the banging to stop. It's a um, good time to get the windows done during lockdown. We need ours. I'm looking over at my bedroom window and it is, yeah, it's very bad. I'm in Margate oh. on the Kent coast. And you've got the North Sea and it's a, a little brisk. Yeah, my sister lives in Deal, one of my sisters. Oh, fab. We've got lots of pals in Deal. It's crime writer central. Is your sister a crime she's, writer? Oh, she's not actually. She's a cracker. Absolute cracker. Who lives in, which crime writers live in Deal? Not Ro <laughs> I should. Not Robert Goddard. I love Robert Goddard. Don't tell me he lives in Deal. I think he's a genius, that guy. I will do some finding out, but tell me about Robert Goddard and the books of his that you'd recommend, because I don't know him and I would like to read more crime. Same. I've got a real problem. So I read when I was about 21 or 22, maybe, The Silence of the Lambs when it first sort of emerged, I have never been so terrified in my entire 
life. I didn't see the film. I've never seen the film. I never will see the film. I know all the impressions of Anthony Hopkins with the mask and all the, you know, <laughs> fava beans, all that stuff. I know all that. That scares me anyway. I read the book and I was absolutely terrified. It got to the point where I, it was so, my family were massively ripping the piss. I had to read it in a room where there were other people and I had to read it in, in the hours of daylight. And my mum would say, what, just stop reading it. Why, why are you reading it? And I was like, oh, I have to read it. I have, I mean, it was, it was addictive. I was obsessed with it. Um, and I pretty much have never read anything like that since because I'm such a major wuss. Anyway, somebody sent me, um, a Robert Goddard book. I'd never heard of him. I'm ashamed to say. And then of course you do that thing, you open the cover and they've written 32 books and they've won this award, that award. They've got an OBE, you know, do you know what I mean? I felt embarrassed that I'd never read any Robert Goddard. So I actually read his most, most, most recent. The first he wrote, I think was in the mid eighties called um, Past Caring, which I haven't read and I'm really intrigued to read. This one is called uh, the Fine Art of Invisible Detection, Robert Goddard. And it's, I think it's only out, it's just out. It's out this year. Somebody sent it to me. And I cannot recommend it enough, Daisy. You've got to read this book. I am going to attempt to describe the, the cover to our listeners. Um, it's got a very cool cover. It's very sort of a little bit maybe pop up. It looks like a sort of hard-boiled 40s book. You've got a silhouette yes. of a woman Thank reading you. a paper with a title and then people below her. And there's an implication of, I don't know, I thought at first New York when I saw a hint of skyline, but is that the millennial, millennial eye? <laughs> millennial eye. It's, millennial the millen it's the millennial eye. Um, it loves avocados and it gets very upset very easily, the millennial eye. <laughs> it's set across three cities. Oh, yeah. We've got Tokyo. Uh, we've got London. We've got Exeter, actually. Let's not forget Exeter. I think Robert Goddard lives in Cornwall actually or devon oh. so hence the the south i was going to say if you did want to stalk him according to wikipedia which we all know is completely true and indisputable <laughs> wikipedia yes. claims he lives in fairham in hampshire oh he, he lives in hampshire does he interesting okay good to know maybe he's maybe he's maybe he holidays in cornwall i don't know but it's the most beautifully unbelievably plotted book i've read in ages it was quite scary oh a lot of it happens in Iceland as well not the shop in the country um <laughs> which is really cool as well so you've got all these different sort of cities that the heroine of this particular novel is Japanese and when you start the book I won't give it away but she is a very very sort of quiet as she calls herself invisible she's late 40s I think and she's working as a PA to a private detective. That's all I'm going to say. But she is the heroine of the book. It's a real masterclass in, in plotting, but it's also really well written. You know, the characters are great. You're in it from page one straight away. You're like, yep, I'm there. I'm totally there. What the heck is, is going on and what's going to happen? It's one of those. I read it in one, in one fell swoop, actually. It's a brilliant book. I'm going to read some more Goddard, definitely. Oh, well... I am very, very curious now. Like you, I am a wuss. I don't, I don't want people to be murdered. I don't want oh. bad things to happen to anyone that I'm reading about. But I, know. I think that that I could probably just about handle, hopefully. I, I'm afraid bad things do happen. 
in this there are there there is a little there is a little bit of murder murdery going on but it's very good it's very very good indeed yes highly recommended when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at bluenile.com you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. We'll be back to Mel soon, but now it's time for my Steal of the Week. Unexplained Laughter by Alice Thomas Ellis. Spiky, selfish Lydia leaves her glamorous literary life in London to recover from a broken heart in her cottage in Wales. She accidentally asks her infuriating colleague Betty, who wastes no time in integrating their lives with the locals. Why is Elizabeth so unhappy? How many people is Dr Wynne sleeping with or trying to? What is the laughing sound that haunts Lydia late at night? This book is dark, arch and hilarious. Imagine Cold Comfort Farm for Cynics or a truly twisted Barbara Pym and you're there. Lydia is the ultimate anti-heroine. Other people might hold her up as an example of an unlikable woman at the helm of a story, but I just loved her. Unexplained Laughter by Alice Thomas Ellis is published by Corsair and out now. Now back to Mel. I really wanted to ask you about food in books and any favourite literary meals or scenes or characters that you'd like to eat with. Oh, lovely. And if there's any cake involved, so much the better. (laughs) I mean, again, I'm going to take us back to Jean Valjean and the the absolute misery of the galleys and the, the paucity of food. And um, and that awful thing to do with just this loaf of bread. And I would say to sort of counteract that a kind of Dickensian, I think a Dickensian feast is always really, really evocative, isn't it? I think there's a good one in Nicholas Nickleby. Well, of course, there's the horrible food that Wackford Squeers and his wife serve up at their horrible school. And they force feed the kids that enormous um, spoon of treacle every day. That's not so good. I like a jolly Dickensian cosy. I, I'm going to say the Crummels, who are the theatrical family in Nicholas Nickleby. 
that he encounters and lives with for a bit. They're constantly having having sort of uh, cheery feasts. My shame, I don't think I've read Nicholas Nickleby, which is awful. It's one oh. of those, those sort of vague, like, I must, I will. I think it it's might be cracker. my dad's favourite Dickens. Um, it's a cracker, yeah. Oh, no, my dad's favourite Dickens is Bleak House, which I've never read because it's called Bleak House. <laughs> yes. I suspect that bad things happen to people. It's really good. It's really, really good. And there's also a very, very good BBC version as well, which you could easily watch and pass pass off that you've read it it's a really detailed one as well johnny vegas is in it is brilliant Gillian anderson it's very but the book is tremendous absolutely tremendous. tremendous i will read the book and then treat myself to the bbc version but it just yeah. that i think my favorite meal in any book is maybe a tea i think an afternoon tea has yeah. there's not very much pressure on it as a meal it's all about fun not function yeah, um, yeah. I've been on a Laurie Colwyn binge lately I don't know if you've come across her at all no tell me everything tell me everything she's an American novelist yeah and she has written two beautiful beautiful food books home cooking and more home cooking and right I guess she's kind of maybe a proto Nigella and I think Nigella is a big fan okay. um, but she uh, she wrote a book called Happy All the Time, which I read near the start of lockdown. And it's my dream book because nothing happens, really. It's about oh. a pair of very, very good friends, third cousins, but they may as well be brothers. It's the 70s, it's New York, and it's about them and the very, very different women that they fall in love with. And I think maybe a little bit like you with Les Miserables, I wept at the end because it was the end. Right, I need um, to read that. I need a weep. I need a massive old weep in my bed. Okay, good. I'm going to read that. That sounds brilliant. But in, I think, Home Cooking, Laurie Colwyn writes about how if she's having a party, which she loves it. Oh, gosh, and what's her? There's an amazing, amazing line where she talks about couples and, you know, they have you to dinner and you have them to dinner and they have you to dinner again. And she calls it an act of retaliation. <laughs> Oh, great. <laughs> but if you have people over for afternoon tea, the pressure is yeah. off. And I do, I just, I think I only ever read P.G. Woodhouse because I want to hear about beef tea about and four teas. different kinds of cake. Oh, yes. I tell you which food I've been enjoying in a book uh, recently is the new Elena Ferrante book, The Lying Life of Adults. Have you read that? Oh, not yet. I'm oh, very keen to. I love the Neapolitan novels. Same. This is also set in Naples. And when she describes the food, obviously, you know, I read it in English, but they, uh, whenever the food is named or talked about, it's always in the Italian or in the Neapolitan, I should say. So you get, oh, there's one, oh, there, there were two things that they kept on mentioning, golly, something sfogliate. Sorry, I do apologise. I did a degree in Italian, so I will pretentiously pronounce any Italian words. I'm sorry, that's just, it's the way I roll, Daisy. I do apologise for that. It's a um, beautiful thing. It's lovely to hear. It's and it's very, it's very, very British, isn't it, to apologise for knowing things? <laughs> yeah. But there's one pasta that uh, the main, the heroine keeps eating called pasta cresciuta which is um i don't even know what it is i've got to look it up it'll be some neapolitan specific neapolitan thing but i just love it when she talks about that i love i yes any food is good in whether in books or oh i like a picnic in a book mm. i love it when a, when you know when people go off 
on picnics. Evelyn Moore's got a good few picnics in. Um, any, any food, basically. Any food, whether real or written about, is fine by me. What I love, if memory serves, about Evelyn Waugh is the sort of... It, scenes and lots of those books I'm mostly thinking of file bodies maybe that the point of having a car is that you can just drive anywhere and eat anywhere and eat exactly exactly and the hamper oh the hamper is key isn't it the hamper the groaning hamper that gets brought out of the boot with several kinds of pie and a lot of baked goods oh, and things booze. like game pie and hunter's pie and yeah 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 all that jazz really this... really good I definitely talked about this book a few times on this podcast, but it's just some, it's one of my favourite, favourite food things ever. And I think you'd love it so much. Um, former guest, Lissa Evans, her latest book, V for Victory, ends. Oh. It's the it's at a point when the Second World War has more or less ended and it's not quite ended and everyone right. knows. Right. It's a bit also that bleak maybe like what we're going into now I don't know where you sort of think it's going to get better but maybe it will have to get worse before it gets better so there is there is nothing and lots of ingenuity with food and making do and high points where certain I think they um gosh there's a bit where something exciting is won in a Christmas raffle due to a bit of jiggery pokery but the very end involves a um a mystery GI and a huge amount of improbable, lavish food arriving. And the, oh, oh the joy of it. <laughs> Nearly oh. as good as eating it all yourself. Oh, oh. I, 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 yes, that sounds amazing. That's amazing, actually. Um, I knew Lissa Evans when she used to be a TV producer. Oh, yeah. In the Father knew, Ted times. Yeah, in the Father Ted times, exactly. I knew her in the 90s. And I was so sort of impressed by how she just kind of suddenly, I mean, she was always a really talented, you know, person. And, um, but I love that when somebody just has that kind of career turn and you kind of go, oh, wow, wow, that's Lissa. She's written books, you know, she's written these amazing books. It's very cool, actually. I'm suddenly thinking of Enid Blyton food. I know it's an obvious choice, but I'm suddenly thinking of a sandy beach and the, the pineapple chunks, the ginger beer, the oh, the sandwiches, the plum cake. Oh, so good. So good. Oh, and that sense as well of, you know, I mean, running around all morning, catching murderers probably, and you've worked yeah. up an appetite. And I'm not sure that I live a life that justifies that much plum cake. And I wish <laughs> I could, if I could do some sort of, I don't know, regime, <laughs> solving crimes all morning and then be- Having a very lavish, lavish lunch. <laughs> I was wondering when talking about Lissa doing something different. I know, obviously, you know, you've always been a writer, but um, I understand the best things is your first novel. Yeah. Did you always think you'd write a novel or dream about writing a novel or did it sort of percolate over time? Yeah, I, I really, I really was very keen from quite a young age to write a novel and kept sort of putting it off and it never quite being the right time and you know having small children and having to you know uh work hard and all that kind of stuff I'm not complaining about it but it just means that there's not a lot of spare time to to be doing stuff like that so I was percolating I love that word I was percolating on the best things for quite a few years actually and then I just finally I just thought I turned 50 and I thought right for Pete's sake are you going to do this or not so I said to my agent 
from September to New Year, this is 2019, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to write a draft of this story that I really like that I've had in my head for quite a while. And I'm just going to do it and I'm not going to do anything else. And that was really good, actually. I mean, you know, I'm not saying that there was tons of things going on then, but, you know, let's let's keep up the fantasy. I cleared the decks, darling. I cleared the diary. It was very, very, very tough. Um, but I Hollywood yes. called. You looked at your eye and actor and said, no, Hollywood. <laughs> Paul Hollywood called and I said, no, <laughs> I'm not going to pick up the phone. Um, so yes, I had, I sort of had to do it that way. I mean, full respect for those writers, you know, the JK Rowlings that talk about sitting in a cafe, writing on scraps of napkin while their child sleeps in a buggy. I, I'm not like that. I can't, I can't do that. I need, I need sort of, um, focus. So I went to the library, actually, I went to my local library every day, September, October, November, most of December. Uh, and that was the only way I would have done it, I think. Um, and I, I just, I loved it. It was lonely and a bit weird. I did talk to myself a lot, made a few friends in the library, which was lovely. It's addictive, actually. I think. Do, don't do. You, do you find that? Do you do you agree? I'm I'm in the throes of trying to finish the first draft of my second novel at the moment. And <laughs> what's some... that second novelitis? Because I'm really scared about the second one. Really scared. Was it weird? It really, really is, and um, just that very difficult thing of knowing because the first one just came out and yeah. I know what people like and what people don't like and none of that information is somehow helpful I'm like well they won't like this because it's not got this in it but also they'll hate it because they hated about this so just um, um all kinds of uh platforms and spaces for uh for self-torture really oh but um oh, man. I mean I definitely I am not I have a plot. I am not a plotter. And when you were talking about the crime writer whose name Robert I remember. Goddard. Robert, Robert Goddard. Robert Goddard. I remembered the Robert, but not the Goddard. I don't know plotter. why. Plotter and feeling Goddard. extremely, extremely jealous of Robert Goddard in his mm. way with plot because I just, I keep sort of taking them to places and thinking, well, now what am I going to do? How, how do I get yeah. them out? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Plot is horrid, isn't it? So are you saying a second novel is, is more difficult then than a first novel? I don't know. I think there are so many things in life. Um, at the moment, um, also in the throes of buying a house for the first time. And <gasps> I think oh. that's one of the things where it's lovely to not know. I've got a lovely friend who's a QI elf and she's been doing that job for a while and says that part of it was it's it happened fairly early in her career and she was just really 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 keen and a fan and she says if she'd known anything about working in television you know she wouldn't be doing it because everyone would have told sort of how hard it is to get there and because she was sort of blissfully unaware she just kind of sailed in cheerfully and I think Amazing. that perhaps with novels as well the the first time it's lovely to not know what you're doing in some yes. ways. Yes, and when absolutely. you do, and it's the drafting, isn't it? And when you know, oh gosh, I've got to get to the end of this and then I've got to get to the end of this again and again. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man. Well, I listen, good luck with, with the, the second one. I'm sure it'll be absolutely brilliant. This is a horrible question to ask yeah. a person who is yeah. you know, on the eve of the publication of The Best Things. Yeah. Are you thinking about number two yeah I am let's try I'm and rank. be grown up about the fact that I just said I'm number rankling. two 
So do you, are you, are you writing or, or thinking? I'm thinking and I am starting to wake up in the night. That's just all kicking off now because I'm thinking, well, I haven't got a plot yet. Well, I sort of have. I do. I, I don't know. Is it any good? Oh, no, I don't think it is. Oh, it, all that. So I've got to try and chill out. Um, but my plan would be to try and sit down and start writing in September. But I don't, I mean, I don't know if I'll be ready, to be honest. Um, I think I've got something there, I hope. I want to write a trilogy set in Leatherhead. So uh, Best Things being the first one. Not with the same group of characters, although you might see the odd one float through. Um, oh, I love it when you do. It's such a lovely thing. It's such a gift for readers when you recognise people. I'm a really big fan of Mary Wesley. And I think I just read over lockdown. I'm looking at my shelf to try and I can selfly see the name Mary Wesley, but not the book I read. I think it might be In a Sensible Life. And Calypso from... Um, do you know the chamomile lawn? Yes. The one that was on telly yes. with boobs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Clips what, Does she come into it? Yes, very, very briefly as someone's nice. aunt. I love and not it. in a way that's sort of central to the plot, but you just think, oh, hello, and it's nice. Yeah. Oh, that's really good that you say that because I, I sort of, I really, really want to, to do that. There's a couple of characters um, in The Best Things that I really, really am very, very wedded to, a couple of the peripheries. And... Um, I just have a feeling I haven't quite finished with them yet. So I want to see them in another story, in another sort of setting, but maintaining, as always, the leatherhead, uh, the leatherhead backdrop. So, um, oh, that's good. I shall look that up, actually. I've not read that, Mary Wesley, so I'll look that up. Very good. Very good. It's It's fun. And I love her because she's quite cheery, but also quite dark and yeah. sort of unafraid of that and unafraid of being inconclusive which yeah. I love in a story that I quite like Zadie Smith for that reason I think it's maybe if you're is it swing time the two girls and they're both aspiring dancers and the the best friend is an excellent excellent dancer and the narrator really isn't but the end it sort of just slowly jogs to a stop and I think well life is like that isn't it yeah. really yeah, I think, I, I don't know if you feel this, but I think, yes, there, there's a sort of urge to kind of tie everything up with a bow, isn't there? And But you're right. There's a lot of unresolved stuff that goes on in reality. And so why don't we embrace that in the written form? Good. I'm going to say that to myself as I fail to come up with a decent plot and ending for book number two. So if you could cast any existing literary figures in the next book and sort of borrow them for a bit is there anyone that you'd like to to bring in Jean Valjean no um I must stop going on I quite fancy Jean Valjean that's my that's my issue there I quite fancy him um oh, but he's a very good and noble person to fancy he's hunky man he's proper hunky Jean Valjean Jean Valjean I did I'm French not... as well so that's hence the pretentious accent I do apologize Jean so Jean. would you because I, oh, I wanted to ask you about Eleanor Ferrante is backtracking a bit and reading mm. in English and I have a real sort of yearning if I had I was going to say time but let's be real I think it's if I was if I had the application Mel and I wasn't so lazy I would love learn Italian to yeah. read those books as they were written and yeah. books translated and I always wonder, I have a little bit of FOMO. I wonder what I'm missing. Yes, I, that's really funny. I didn't feel that so much when I read the Brilliant Friend 
quartet. I didn't have that so much when I read those, but definitely when I read The Lying Life of Adults, I, that did cross my mind, actually. I thought, oh, God, I should be reading this in Italian. I've got a flipping degree, supposedly, and it was a very, very poor degree, but I've got a degree in Italian. I must read this. And I think, to be honest, major geek alert, I'm going to read it in Italian now. I've read it in oh. Well, any time I know you've got a lot on and you're very busy, but if you wanted to come back on the podcast and and you've read it in Italian and tell me all, I love that. I'll let you already know. Definitely. I read a book this summer. uh, It's called A Girl Returned by a writer called Donatella Di. I'm going to do a horrible job on her surname. Donatella Di Petriantonio. Um, Right. And I read it purely because it was also translated by Anne Goldstein, who is... Elena Ferrante's translator. Yes, I love the sound of Anne Goldstein. I love the way, and also I love the way she gets in the front cover, as she should do, a kind of proper piece about her. You know, she's obviously, she's hot news, isn't she? And I suppose as well, I don't know how much of that is because of Ferrante's anonymity, that she almost needs a spokesperson. Yeah. Um, But A Girl Returned is a weird book, and it is about a... A teenage girl who suddenly is sent away and she's been living with a very affluent family, I think maybe northern Italy-ish, and her real right. family are in the south and they're, they're very the poor. Wow. And various things have happened. Wow. And I think I like it's to do with her adoptive mother having an affair and she's sort of sent out the house. But it's really, it's got that really like Ferrante feel of heat and anxiety mm. and that mm. sense of you don't, you sort of, you intuit that darker things are going on than you can yeah. see in name. The lying life of adults, and you've absolutely nailed it when you said heat and anxiety, is just from page one. I mean, you are in the head, the mind, the body, the sinews, the blood of this 13-year-old girl. It's phenomenal, actually. It is really, really, really good. It's unpleasant in in quite a few ways, and dark, but just brilliant. And I mean, unforget. She has an aunt. Okay, I'm not going to say anything about this aunt apart from the fact that you will never, ever, ever get her out of your head. She's one of those characters. I've got her in my head now. Actually, now I'm talking about her. I might have to to read it now. Our local yeah. bookshop, the Margate Bookshop, is open. I might bang is on it? the wall and see. Well, for you can do click and collect. So yeah. I think maybe I'll. Ring them up and say, please, it's an emergency. I need the lying life of adults. <laughs> it's, it is. It's, and, and it's one of those books, you know, all brilliant books are like that, that you just start reading it and that's it. You, you've got to just, you've got to block out a few hours of your time because you're not going to be stopping it. You know, it's one of those brilliant. This is a question where the answer might just be no, but I'm curious about whether there are any other contemporary French or Italian writers that you have enjoyed reading yeah you see i did a really mad hodgepodge of stuff uh i read i, I read dante for pete's sake i'm not going to suggest that you go out and buy some dante um and fill your boots with um i mean it's epic it's brilliant but you know it's a bit on the heavy side i'd say elena ferrante let's keep it to that as persuasive as you are well i'm not <laughs> sure i can face the dante although i wonder if there's you know, room for Dante, you know, it's... Um, yeah, hell yeah. Guido and the spiralling, could that be Leatherhead? <laughs> hell yes. There are many bulgers in Leatherhead. You descend right to the very depths. 
no, absolutely. Yeah, I, I need to reread a bit of Dante, actually. It's brilliant. I've never read it in Italian, though. Don't tell anyone. I always read it in translation. Don't tell a it's soul. all right. No one's listening. It's a Don't secret. <laughs> tell a soul. <laughs> Um, there are too many books to read in too many languages and it's overwhelming, isn't it? And I sort of think I'm half Polish, Lithuanian. I should be reading all the contemporary Polish and Lithuanian. And I just, uh, it's just, it's too much. I still haven't finished Anthony Trollope for Pete's sake. Or, um, you know, Balzac. I've never read any Ruddy Balzac. Apparently Balzac is awesome. And Proust. Never read any of that. I've got to, I've got to pull the Ruddy proverbial finger out. This is a heck of a to-do list. Um, Balzac. Prost. (laughs) (laughs) Where's the Mills and Boone? Where's the Geoffrey Archer? Do you know what is coming, though, in July 21? And I just had the privilege of reading a sneak preview of it. It's an amazing, amazing, amazing book. And you have to talk to the author. She's called Georgia Pritchett. She's a fantastic comedy writer. Um, she's multi Emmy award winning, BAFTA winning. She's just extraordinary. She's one of the chief writers on Veep, the awesome show, on the thick of it, awesome show, and now Succession, awesome show. She's written her autobiography and it's called My Mess is a Bit of a Life. Absolutely hilarious and utterly moving and inspiring and wonderful. So that's my oh. little tip. That sounds fabulous and it is so exciting to have a bit of a hot tip to rush out in. I love to pre-order a book. It's a present for future you. Yes, that's such a good, that's such a good way of looking at it. But it's no, I I read it um, two nights ago and um, yeah, it was again, I started reading and I never, ever stay up after about 10.30pm. That's the law at the moment in my, well, in my world, not in my family's world. They're all up till God knows when. But I stayed up till 12.07 reading Georgia Pritchett's book. It was so good. It's hilarious. It's hilarious. But the best hilarious is when it's coupled with just really moving, actually. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And that when there's that sort of real, um, it's not bittersweet. No, it's not bittersweet. It's something else. I don't know what it is. It's just, it makes it more, I don't know. I was just thinking about Brilliant you book. know, bittersweet books and that, that there must be a, a better word for that or a more specific yeah, word, a German word. Yes. Like Nina Stibby, who I love. and adore her. I that, adore it, her. You know, it's so, so, so funny, but there is that backdrop of things being not as they should yeah. be and people making do yeah yeah there's a there's a sort of there's a stream not a river it's just a little stream of kind of um melancholy or difficulty or thoughtfulness isn't there running running through it they are the best and george's book is has got that in absolute bag loads i was wondering about the no. books you have given as gifts and the the successes and the hits and the misses and do you would you rather give someone a funny book or a sort of serious life-changing book? Interesting. So, um I an actor I've given to every single of my nieces and nephews uh with varying degrees of success. Um and if I go on to a new job like a theater job, I will first night, you know, you have to give prezies first night. I will give I an actor to a lot of people. And it tends to go down really well. There's one person I thought would absolutely flipping adore it and he's never mentioned it. 
And I wonder if I offended <laughs> him or something. A friend of mine who's an actor, I gave it to him, never mentioned it. And I really want to go, mate, did you did, did you like it? Did, did you like it? Never mentioned it. The veil has been drawn. Maybe he just thought it was stupid. Um, it's quite a vulnerable uh, thing, I think, to do when you hand something to someone and say, I really, really love this. My favourite book. This is my favourite book. Yeah, absolutely. I love giving books. I find, I'm laughing, actually, because I, I'm a bit of an all or nothing person. So I went into a bookshop last summer when we were allowed to go briefly into bookshops when they were open and it was completely empty. It was Blackwell's in Oxford, completely empty, this massive shop. I just thought, oh God, this is really weird. Anyway, I sort of felt, right, I need to buy a lot of books because I felt somehow guilty that I was the only customer. And I ended up buying, they're these brilliant books, they're called Blanks and they're old vintage books, but inside the pages are all blank. And I bought 30. <laughs> I bought 30 Blanks because I just thought, and actually they did, they made really cool Christmas presents and I've still got a pile but that's not really the point, is it? You go into a bookshop and then you buy a load of blank books. But the covers were brilliant. There was sort of a massive range. There was sort of, you know, a really funny old romantic, you know, um, Highbury at noon or something with a brilliant cover. And then inside, obviously, blank pages. And then you get some really intense, the, the, the biography of Ovid or something. So, yeah, anyway. Those are the last books I bought en masse, I would say. That's right. Sorry. <laughs> it's a delight. Mass. Uh, it's a delight. You can't, you can't take that away from me, yeah? So it's so the, the um, book, it's the, the gift that keeps on giving, the gift you give yourself. Write your own book, you lazy so-and-so. Yes, exactly, exactly. Judging things by their covers and those lovely sounding covers. I'm a real fiend. But I've got so many really dreadful pulpy those like 70s pan macmillan books and quite a lot of them i've never actually read but if it's got some sort of mad like and again it's that i don't like books where bad things happen unless it's the 70s and the writing is odd enough to sort of give you a little bit of like the friendoms effecty distance and it's like oh it's a a golden gun and a drop of blood in a rose or something or a sort of a a sexy naked dancing lady looking a little bit "Mm." yes i love that i know i know exactly those covers i totally know one of my favorite bookshops ever in it's in cornwall and we used to go camping near there in the lovely town of helston and i used to go religiously every year and get just our oh, brilliant brilliant books with brilliant covers and they've closed oh. I went two years ago I went running I just literally I, I was running along and I was on my own I'd sort of escaped from the family and the gang and I was thinking oh brilliant the bookshop in Helston brilliant running along running along and turned the corner into the alley <gasps> and then there it was it was, I don't know, it was a trinkets shop or something. Oh, oh I hate it when bookshops it does. It feels like a bad so omen, sad. doesn't it? Like seeing too many magpies yeah. or, or something. Yeah. Um, yes, no, you're right. You're right. Are there any books that you remember loving and being surprised by that you found in secondhand shops or charity shops? Things that have unexpectedly turned up on your shelves as a result of foraging? Yes, it's one of my favourite And it's a book I remember my mum having in the 70s. And I think it's actually written by old um, Fanny, um, you know, the Fanny Craddock. Fanny, Fanny, it's a Craddock. It's a Craddock. And I 
had the fortune, I was on holiday in the Lake District, another brilliant bookshop up in Penrith. Oh my gosh, such a good secondhand bookshop near the reclamation market. Anyway, in there, and I was howling with laughter. Just It brought back so many memories. The favourite recipe being um, this sort of enlarged cup, like a soup cup, and in it were, were standing upright frankfurters in a sort of, um, it's classic Craddock, in sort of um, pureed piped potatoes and everything really garish, you know, food photography in the 70s. Food photography in the 70s is my favourite thing ever. Those greens, those mustards. I mean, it looks disgusting. The sauce is always really shiny. Do you know what I mean? It's got that sheen Everything on it. Everything is bafflingly suspended in some sort of jelly, be it sweet or savoury. Aspic. Everything's in aspic. It's disgusting. This, I can't remember what it's called, I'm ashamed to say, but I, I just saw the cover and I was taken back to Leatherhead circa 76 or 77. Ran over, there it was, howled with laughter, bought it. I've showed mum. It's just genius. It is just genius. Oh God, the the meats and the uh, everything is disgusting. The, even the cakes look foul. <laughs> it's brilliant. The colour of a pickled dill cucumber in a seventies cookbook. <laughs> it's like something out of a horror film. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm not going to pitch you any TV shows. There's definitely a sort of a reverse Bake Off, the competitions that who can yeah. make the the worst looking, best tasting. 70s replica really I think that'd be idea. so much fun and yours well not best tasting but if it's worst looking I've definitely got a shot <laughs> look you contact Lisa <laughs> Evans get her back we need her into TV into TV production we'll sit down we'll have a bit of a powwow and let's make that show that sounds fabulous Mel I could talk to you for about another month not at all it's been absolutely delightful Daisy and I would love to come again just I'm inviting myself I, I now I'm over 50 I can do stuff like that honestly I can say yeah an I want to come again invitation anytime you don't have to wait until oh. you have read Ferrante in the Italian but I'm really desperate for it. please please do it for me because I know I, I can't I'm not clever enough to learn Italian no listen you've laid down the gauntlet my friend Huge thanks to Mel for joining us. The Best Things is published by Headline and out now. I hope you love Sally as much as I do. Thank you so much for joining me for this conversation. Your Booked is produced by Dale Shaw from New Alaska and hosted by Acast. You can follow us on social media at YBooked. And huge thanks to everyone who's been leaving five-star reviews. It's the best way to help us to bring new listeners to the podcast. You can find a list of all the books mentioned by Mel at acast.com slash booked and check out her selection in our bookshop on bookshop.org. We'll be taking a short break to get our breath back and power through our TBR pile, but we'll be back in your ears very soon. For now, I leave you with this from Nigella Lawson. I'm not sure it's shame I feel at all at the lacunae in my reading life, more of a sense of hopeful excitement at what lies ahead. What I do feel ashamed about are the many great books I know I have read and yet have scant memory of. Thank God for the joys of rereading. See you next time. Hold up. 
Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.